First of all, just unpack briefly what we find here in Genesis about created male and female, and then we'll uh, just briefly look at how this is not only the biblical teaching, but it's the obvious reality, uh, biologically, physiologically, and so on. And then we'll also look at uh, contemporary gender ideology. Uh, We'll try to analyze it just briefly. We'll try to look at the question of how did we get here to think the way we think as a society today with regard to gender. And then a couple of quick applications at the end. It's a lot to cover. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 again that we've been looking at. We have creation of man in God's image, created male and female. So verse 27 tells us God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then we get to chapter 2, as we have seen, and we have uh, more details zooming in on the creation of man and woman. Chapter 2, verse 7, we have the creation of the man. Chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, we have the creation of the woman in a way that accents man's need for a woman. We have seen all of that. And I just want to focus on verses 22 and 23. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So as we've seen in this passage in chapter 2, there's a a sense of joy and a sense of fulfillment on the part of Adam, the man, when God brought him his wife. He saw her as his counterpart, his uh, companion, and he says, in effect, here, at last, here's someone like me. He was alone, and now there's a sense of fulfillment because she is there, And he is not alone. He has a companion. And here's someone on my level. The animals didn't fulfill that need. And in fact, even though he was in fellowship with God, there was no one on his level to share in a deep soul way of companionship. And so he says, in effect here, at last, here's someone like me. But in a very important sense, she was not like him. He was he. She was she. Like I say, we are dealing today with a reminder of reality. They were complementary. They were equal. We have seen all of that, but they were different. They're counterparts to each other. God made one humanity, but he made that one humanity, and in that sense, by the way, we're all alike. There's one humanity, and in that very basic sense, we're all alike. But this one humanity that God made, he divided into two parts. There's two genders, male and female. We are not just generically human. We are human beings who are male or female. I suppose God could have created all of humanity, a whole number of men, or he could have created humanity all female, or I suppose he could have created humanity genderless, having us reproduce in some other way, 
I suppose he could have created all of humanity androgynous. If that's too big a word for you. That's both male and female together. He could have done all of that, but he didn't. There was something about the complementarity of male and female that God determined was suitable for humanity. And so verse 27 of chapter 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God has made us a gendered people. That was his design. That is what we are. And one of the things I'll be emphasizing throughout the lesson is that this is, at the same time, the biblical teaching and the obvious reality. And what I want you to see, if if you see nothing else through the lesson, is that what we are emphasizing about male and female is not some obscure uh, teaching that Christians hold uniquely, but it's the reality of life that the Bible gives explanation for in terms of God's creative work. Male and femaleness is an essential given of human existence, and that's the reality. It's basic to our identity. We are not just human beings. We're male and female human beings. My identity is not entirely reducible to being a man, But everything about me is shaped by being a man and not a woman. Same is true with regard to my wife. Everything about her is shaped by her being a woman and not a man. We're both human. And in that sense, we're alike. But we're different. We're distinct. There's male and female as God has created us. Gender is a fundamental given of human existence. It's inescapably a part of who we are. I, I relate to others as a man. I am not in touch with my feminine side. I don't have a feminine side. And I certainly don't want my wife to have a masculine side. I'm a man. She's a woman. This is how God has created us. That's the biblical teaching. And in fact, and this is what I want to emphasize as well, that is the biological reality. Every cell in the human body contains 23 pairs of chromosomes. 22 of them are the same in men and women, and they account for all the various traits that we have that we inherit and so on. The 23rd one is the so-called sex chromosome. It's either XX or XY except for the exceptional cases where there are what we call defects. But every chromosome is XX or XY. Every cell in the woman's body is an XX chromosome. Every cell in a man's body is XY chromosome. You can have sex change surgery. You can have hormone therapy. It doesn't change the reality that what we are is XX or XY. We're either male or female. In fact, this was interesting. I'd found that to date, researchers have determined 6,500 genes, that is particles within the chromosomes, 6,500 genes that are expressed differently in men and women. Now, that's just the scientific data. Uh, Men and women differ 
Um, physiologically, of course, biologically, of course, we do differ hormonally, we differ in thinking, we differ in emotions. We all knew that. We all know that just intuitively, and in, we, we learn it as we grow, we see it, but there is the data to show that. Uh, hormonal differences show up in the womb. Uh, female fetus develops differently from the male fetus in the Female fetus, there's the developing of, of, of eggs, which will, in time, become fertile. There's in the male fetus, the developing of reproductive cells that will, in time, become sperm cells. There's a difference between male and female. On average, men are 10% taller than women. Men are 15%, on average, 15% heavier. Men are considerably stronger, on average, than women. And this is why we have segregated athletic events, uh, male and female events, uh, because of the obvious biological differences between men and women. Women on average, and this is the data for this as well, women on average are more verbal, more emotionally sensitive. Men are usually more perceptive mathematically. Uh, there are statistical differences, and they're significant, and they're not, over, they're not absolute. There's overlap between all of them, and none of the faculties that any of us has are uh, uh, unique to male or female. There's overlap in all of it, but there are obvious differences, and they have been quantified. They've been, the data is there to show it. Um, we, have this, we all have emotions. We all have uh, intellect, rationality. But inevitably, these faculties and these capacities are expressed as men and as women. So men and women both have emotions, rationality, courage, gentleness, initiative, gentleness, um, patience. Both have protectiveness. Those are not gender-specific attributes. But inevitably, they're expressed in ways that are keeping with maleness and femaleness. Now, this is entirely separate from what we saw last week in terms of the roles of men and women in the home and in the church. This has to do with what we are as men and women. And so, chapter 1, verse 27, God made us male and female. Humanity does not image God in a neuter way or a genderless way. We don't image God as androgynous creatures. We image God as male and female. And I want to say it again that this distinction between male and female, men and women, is not some obscure teaching that's held by Christians uniquely. This is the obvious reality that we all recognize, and the Bible happens to give explanation for it in terms of God's creative activity. Now, as we've already said in these studies about the creation of man and woman, we want very much to affirm the equality of the sexes. We've done all of that, so just keep that in mind. I don't have to rehash that now. But at the same time, and in particularly with reference, especially so with reference to our setting in our contemporary culture, we want to emphasize and maintain that the two, male and female, are distinct. 
A man is not a woman. A woman is not a man. The things you have to point out today, but that's what we want to emphasize and maintain. Our culture has, and I think I mentioned this last time, our culture has championed the idea of equality of the sexes. But there's an equivocation, a change of meaning in the word equality. In our contemporary discourse, equality means sameness. You can't be equal without being the same. And so in our culture, to, to champion the equality of men and women, you have to affirm they all are the same. And that's precisely what we want to deny. And in fact, there's been a subtle vocabulary change. You've probably noticed it uh, with regard to sex and gender. Sex and gender have been separated in contemporary uh, lingo. Sex, that is the biological and physiological reality of what we are. Gender, that's what you think you are. That's how you feel about yourself. That's how you decide about yourself. And so if you consider yourself male or female, that's the gender that you have. And so gender, you're hearing this today often, gender is fluid. I may be a man, but tomorrow I may decide that I really, really am a woman. Never mind the biological reality. I feel, I think, I decide that I am a woman, and that's the ultimate reality about myself, no matter the biological reality. And so we have today something we've hardly seen in history, and that is transgenderism. Well, if, if gender is not tied to sex, and if gender is determined by how I feel about myself, how I think about myself, well, then it is fluid, and a man can be a woman, or a woman can be a man. But the point, then, in gender ideology is that Maleness and femaleness is not a matter of sexual reality or biological reality. Maleness and femaleness is a matter of psychology. How you think, how you feel about yourself. Now, we're told today that masculinity and femininity both are cultural norms. That is, they're cultural notions. They are, um, men and women are the same. Men and women are the same. Men and women are the same. Equal, and equal means the same. So men and women are the same, we're told today. And any differences that men and women may have between them are culturally imposed. They've learned it from culture. So if a man wants to be a leader, that's a cultural imposition. And in our contemporary culture, that's toxic masculinity. If a little girl wants to become a mother, if she wants to be something that resembles domestic life, that's a cultural imposition that should not have been imposed on her, and it's probably oppressive that it has been. And so the objective of society now is to free your children from these oppressive notions that you've imposed on them at home and they should be liberated from them. 
Maleness and femaleness is not something we are by nature in today's thinking. It certainly isn't something that is God-given. It's something we think, something we feel about ourselves and what we decide. And so now, today, we have to pretend that he, that she is as suited for combat as he. Just, just have to believe that because they're all the same. Maleness and femaleness, they're all equal, they're all the same. So she is as suited for combat as he. And in fact, he might be she. Bruce might be Caitlin. And in fact, he turned she ought to be allowed to compete in women's sports, never mind the biological reality of things, but he feels himself a she, and so he, she, he, she should be allowed to perform in, and compete in, in women's athletics. And at the same time, men can be moms, and we're told that it's offensive to say otherwise. Mothers or women can be anything a man is. Our children are taught in school that a person with that kind of anatomy is not necessarily a boy. A person with that kind of anatomy is not necessarily a girl. No one knows but you whether you are a boy or a girl. And in fact, it is now doctors have, become under, have come under fire for declaring it's a boy. How, are you, how would you know it's a boy? And you want to think, is this a trick question? But it's oppressive to declare it's a boy. You don't know. Only that child knows if it's a boy or if it's a girl. And in fact, there's a new offense. We're offended about everything anymore, but there's a new offense. I just learned this this year. This new offense is called heterosexism. You know what that is? Heterosexism. That is, if you affirm that um, heterosexuality is normal, let me say it again, if you affirm that heterosexuality is normal, that's offensive. It's homophobic. Who are you to say that heterosexuality is normal and homosexuality is not? And so heterosexuality, heterosexism, has become an offense today. So if you affirm that, that uh, men and women, uh, sexual relations between male and female are normal, even if you affirm today, and you've seen this in the news, if you affirm today that sexual relations between men and women are the normal means of reproduction, that's offensive. Never mind if it's reality, it's oppressive, it's homophobic. It's oppressive and it's offensive to say that only a woman can have a baby. You've seen that in the news as well. Somebody in the public square will say something about only a woman can have a baby and climbed all over by the establishment. Who are you to say that? That's oppressive. You're attacking their dignity and so on. Well, that's, that's what we're seeing in our culture today. Now, we all know that all of that is just madness. It's just madness. I don't know another word for it. It's just madness. But the pressure to conform to that is enormous. 
It's enormous in the workplace. If you're in a corporate position, you're feeling it. If you're in a, an employee in a place, you're maybe feeling it, where you've got to affirm that he is she, and so on. But the reality is, the reality is, they're just two genders. They're not three. They're not four. There's not 75. There's nothing in between, just male and female. That's what we have. And there's nothing other. There's no odd genders. There's no genderless. We're not generically human. We're created male and female. And that's the reality. I want to say it again. It's the height of madness to say otherwise. It's just the height of madness to, to, to deny the obvious. And I think it's more than that. It's not just madness. It's the ultimate rebellion against what God has created us to be. Now, because of all of that, we're left today completely unable to define what gender is. What is it that makes a man a man and a woman a woman? It can't be anatomy. It can't be biology. That's not fair. But then it can't be really psychology either, although it is on the terms of how I feel about myself. But it can't be psychology either because we all think the same. We have the same capacities and the same emotions. And there are no differences on that level either. It's oppressive to affirm that. So there are neither internal nor external differences. So what is it that makes a man a man and a woman a woman? And I think it's, I think it's telling that feminists today will celebrate womanhood and when they are pressed to define what is it that makes a woman a woman, they flatly refuse. Can't do it. What is it that makes a woman different from a man? If you want to celebrate womanhood, what is it that makes a woman different from a man? And it can't be said. Now, the fact is, even if we can't explain exactly what it is that makes a woman distinct from a man and a man distinct from a woman. And, and those kinds of definitions, like definitions often, can be difficult to state. But even if that's the case, our maleness and our femaleness is just an inescapable part of who we are. It permeates who we are to the core of our being. It conditions everything about us. And the self that I have is inevitably recognized as himself. It's not a generic me, but the I and the me is a him and a he. And same with female. There's no I and there's no I, uh, me and there's no you that's just generic. It's male and female. We all recognize that. Yeah, Jim. or if we offend, so be it. So if someone were to ask me what makes heterosexuality normal, and I say the Bible, I'm going to be offending that person before we even get to the gospel. So do we defend the truth, you know, wherever the truth, even if that precedes or, or cuts short the conversation before we get to the gospel? Or do you... I think, I think it's one of those questions that you have to take one at a time. There's no one-size-fits-all answer. What I do not want to do, what I don't want to do, is give up the authority of Scripture. And I don't want to give up the sufficiency of Scripture. 
I don't want to say that you don't need the Bible to know this. Although I do want to point out that you don't need the Bible to know this. You're on another level. Uh, this is the obvious biological reality that we all recognize. And the Bible gives explanation for it. Um, let, me, let me finish through this. I, I plan to say something about that at the end. But it's not my point this morning to get into... That really would be a good follow-up lesson, maybe, to explore how can you talk about this in the public square. Um, you do want to go without offense, but at the same time, you can't surrender who you are as a believer. At no point can you say, I, I'm, I'm not a Christian in this discussion. Now, on one level, it's not my concern if Bruce wants to be Caitlin. But you've noticed it in our culture that it's never enough that you allow Bruce to be Caitlin. What's demanded is that you affirm that he is she. It's demanded of us that we deny reality with them. It's demanded of us that we deny biblical teaching with them. It's demanded of us, in short, that we affirm them in their delusions. Even if it's offensive to say. And that's the rub. That's the rub for us. Because they're asking us to deny reality, and they're asking us to deny the clear teaching of Scripture. Fifty years ago, <clears throat> Francis Schaeffer wrote a book. He was a, an outstanding cultural apologist. He wrote a book entitled Escape from Reason. Escape from Reason. What a title, huh? Escape from Reason. It used to be the truth was tied to reason, but not anymore. And what he argued in that book was that we are witnessing in our culture the denial of reality. And it's becoming demanded of us that we accept nonsense as reality. More recently, Carl Truman, many of you remember him. He was here with us a couple years ago, a few years ago, uh, for Reformation Sunday. He was at Westminster at the time. Uh, this year, he wrote a book entitled The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, it's just a blockbuster of a book. It has got received just the widest acclaim, um, acknowledgement from, from all over. Just a very insightful book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Um, if you'd like, you can go to a Books of Glance website and see the interview with him there. He talks about the book when I interviewed him there. What Carl does in the book is explain for us how we got here, <clears throat> tracing it basically over the last century or so. And he itemizes several different factors that have contributed to it. One is the drift in our culture away from a Christian society to a post-Christian society. Now, that's an important factor. Um, we used to have a Christian-esque, at least, a Christian-esque consensus in our culture where certain things were given. And we shared that even among believers and unbelievers. That's an important factor in his discussion. That's not the only factor because there have been plenty of 
other cultures that were not Christian, that didn't affirm the nonsense that we're asked to affirm today. But that is one of the factors in our setting. We've drifted into a post-Christian culture where there is an increasing biblical illiteracy. No one knows, let alone believes or is convinced by or shaped by biblical considerations. So that's, that's a huge factor in how we got here in our society. There's also, he points out, the sexual revolution of the 1960s, where all sexual norms were questioned or trashed altogether. What you feel and what you want is what is best and what is right. If it feels good, do it. And that leaves the door open for absolutely everything. And then he focuses more, and he deals more with the philosophical backgrounds of it, uh, which we can't get into. In a very insightful analysis, he talks about the increasing subjectivism, the increasing subjectivism of our thinking today, and a growing sense of radical individualism. There's the prioritizing of self. How do I feel about myself? How I feel about myself is the most basic reality. I identify myself with what I feel about myself and what I think about myself, and what I think I am. That's who I am. And if you are to question that, you're attacking my dignity, you're attacking me, that's who I am, and only I can know that. And with this increasing subjectivism, this radical prioritizing of the self and radical individualism, what I think I am is what I am, and no one can question that and so meaning, meaning itself is determined on the individual level. It has a very postmodern ring to it, doesn't it? Not God, not even human nature can dictate to the individual what he is. The individual knows what he is, and he declares it. And all of society now must bow to that and even surrender objective reality to acknowledge with the person that what he thinks, what she thinks he or she is, is actually what he or she thinks she is. And so older notions of objective reality have to be eliminated. Of course, any notion of divine authority has to be eliminated. What I feel, what I feel has become primary for identifying myself. My self-identity is determined by not what God says, not by any notion of creation. Not by any notion of the dictates of nature. Reality is determined by how I feel and how I think about myself. And all previous norms have to be revised accordingly. And so what we have today is a prevailing, and I'll say it again, it's, just, it's prevailing madness. Previous generations would have considered it absolute nonsense to say, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Previous generations would have just, what is wrong with you? It's madness. Previous generations would have thought it madness or nonsense to say that homosexuality or same-sex orientation is normal. It's obviously not. But you have to affirm that. Previous generations would have thought it nonsense to say bisexuality is normal. But today, all the world has to surrender objective reality, bow to the individual, pretend with him that he is she, 
And to do otherwise is to attack someone's self-identity, to attack their worth and their dignity. It's the individual that's supreme, and everything else has to be judged accordingly. The triumph of self. In fact, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but LGBT is no longer acceptable. Did you know that? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, isn't, that acronym is no longer acceptable. And the reason is because somebody figured out that the L, the G, and the B all assume objective sexual norms. L, G, and B, lesbian, gay, bisexual, all recognize maleness and femaleness according to biological reality. So a lesbian is a woman who is sexually attracted to women. A gay man is a man who is sexually attracted to men. And even the B, the bisexual, someone who's sexually attracted to both, even that recognizes, the, the, even that is in some warped way is coherent because it recognizes that gender is tied to sex. But in that kind of a view, the T doesn't fit. Because now with the T, we have to say that gender is not tied to sex, and you've cut the ground out for the LG and the B. And so LGBT now has become unacceptable. The T, transgender, assumes that gender is not tied to sex. It's fluid, it's psychological, it's determined by the self, and it detaches those categories entirely, which is absolutely the ground of the others. I think it's just another example of, remember a couple of years ago we had a year-long study here in Sunday school about the uh, culture and uh, postmodern norms and things like that. And I made the point that unbelief at many turns can be shown to be irrational. This is just another example of the irrationality of unbelief. Have you noticed how the society today increasingly has become authoritarian? It just demands, demands that you think like they tell you to think. It's, I think, frighteningly like what we read in the book of Revelation, where we have to accept the mark of the beast in our hands and in our foreheads. That is, we have to do and think according to the dictates of the beast. And if you don't, you can't do business here. And our society is becoming more and more like that. Uh, it's not asking us to think. It's asking us to submit. It's demanding that we submit. And all of it's the triumph of this radically individualized self, and we all have to bow to it. You, defend, you uh, define your own identity. You, you define who you are. And of course, all of that is a very postmodern ring to it, where we each determine our own truth and our own reality, and everybody else has to acknowledge that. Now, all of that, I want to keep emphasizing that we need to know this, and we have to have it settled in our minds because the pressure is so enormous today. All of that is not just contrary to the scriptures, it's contrary to obvious reality. And the Bible gives explanation for it. Gender reassignment. 
It's just pretending. It's make-believe. And no surgery, no pill, no hormone therapy is going to change a man into a woman. That's the reality. Every cell in a man's body, every cell, XX, every cell in a woman's body, I'm sorry, XY, every cell in a woman's body, XX, and affects how we develop as a fetus. It even affects how some diseases work. It affects physical abilities. That's why we have segregated sports. And when gender activists in the classroom are teaching our kids, no one knows if you're a boy or a girl but you. And you may have that kind of anatomy, but that doesn't mean you're a boy. You may have that kind of anatomy. It doesn't mean you're a girl. And when they are telling that to our children, they're asking our children to deny reality. Playing games, they're asking us to make believe with them and to join them in their delusion. Transgender is not normal, even if it's offensive to say it. Isn't it amazing how you have to be you, you tense every time you say that because it, the, the, the pressure is so enormous? But it's the reality. Transgender is not normal, even if it is offensive to say it. Gender is fixed. Now, given these norms that have come into our society today, the present cultural norms and this madness that prevails, religion, and in particular Christianity, is inevitably viewed as oppressive and cruel. And that's why there's so much of an increasing antagonism against, specifically, Christianity today. Because we're hanging on to these old notions that God created male and female. Even if it is objective reality, it's offensive. And so the religion itself is viewed as oppressive and cruel. And it's become the job of and the responsibility of governments in the name of social justice to liberate people from those previous norms. Quebec, I think it is, yes, Quebec has already passed some laws outlawing heterosexism, affirming that sexual relations between male and female are normal. They view it as oppressive. Governments have to protect in the name of social justice, have to protect against that. And you can see how that increasingly is bringing pressure against the church. The goal of education is to retrain our children's minds to ignore reality. Kids in kindergarten today are being taught that their body, and there's the line, their body is irrelevant to their authentic self. In place of the biblical gospel, we have a new salvation message. You can be what you want to be. You decide that. You can do what you want to do. You can define yourself however you want to define yourself. And no one can judge you for that. And no one will judge you for that. There certainly isn't a God who would. And if there were a God who would, that would be terrible. The irony, of course, is no one can actually live with these new structures. That's another discussion. 
We all know that humanity is binary, male and there's female. We all know that. We all know that men and women are different in some very important and complementary respects. We all know that homosexuality is not normal. We all know that homosexuality and transgenderism not only is not normal, but in the long term is not fulfilling and in fact harmful. We all know that heterosexuality is normal. It's the only way to reproduce. We all know this. I read a report from a woman, this is a couple years ago now. <clears throat> she's an agnostic and she's a feminist. She broke up with her boyfriend. The relationship, she said, had been going very well. And they were talking marriage. They'd been going together for some time. But when it came down to it, she had to break it off. You know why? Because he wasn't a good enough leader for her. Isn't that interesting? She couldn't go out to eat without his questioning when to go, where to go. That was all up to her. And here she was, and for all of her rhetoric as a feminist and as an agnostic, what she said was her man wasn't man enough for her. And after all the screaming that we have today, not all would admit as much as she did, but after all the screaming today, Women still want their men to be men. And men want their women to be women. And you can call manhood toxic masculinity if you like. And of course there have been men who have abused their masculinity and that's what gives ground for some of the criticism, of course. But you can call masculinity toxic. The fact is, even the women want their men to be men. Women expect something of their men... And in fact, women today, after all the screaming, will even complain that there's a shortage of real men. Let me finish up here. We'll get questions. Now, I want to, I want to emphasize too, Bible believers, this is where it comes to, to us, Bible believers have nothing to be ashamed of in all of this discussion. We've got the facts. We've got the truth. We've got the reality on our side. We've got nothing to be ashamed of. We may have pressure to conform, and you may have feel that pressure in the workplace or whatever. But what we are insisting on, and what the Bible teaches, corresponds exactly to reality. And we've got nothing to be, to be ashamed of in it. And I've got to hurry here. Quick words of application. One, with regard to the world. One, don't be taken in by it. You're getting bombarded by this today in every broadcast that you see. You need to be informed at least informed enough, even if you can't articulate the differences well, you need to be informed enough to be settled and confirmed in your own heart and mind that what the Bible teaches corresponds exactly to reality. And don't let people persuade you otherwise. With regard to trans people that you may know, I think we have to be very careful. We must affirm that here is a man or a woman created in the image of God and deserves respect on that level. I think, I think there's a, you can't say this because it would be offensive, but I think there's a, an, a degree of sympathy, a degree of, of sympathy that you have to give to a person like that in that situation. In my view, they're confused, and I don't think they're happy. But with all of the respect and all the courtesy that you want to give in a situation like that, you cannot, you cannot be pressured to deny biblical teaching or the reality that you see. 
And that's always the rub. Then quickly, parents as well. Parents, you need to have this conversation with your kids. Have a conversation at age-appropriate times, of course, but have the conversation with your kids. Emphasize the biblical teaching. Emphasize that it corresponds exactly to what we see in, in a human existence. Do what you can to expose the madness of our culture when you see it on the television with your kids. Expose it. Warn them about it. They're getting it. They're getting it all the time, and you've got to do your part to counter it. All right, question. Question. 